0: the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Justin Briley, Apologetics and Theology Editor for Premier, sitting down once again with Tom Wright to ask your questions here on the podcast. And it's brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. And today's show is on your questions on Bible translation and the difference it makes sometimes uh, depending on the way you translate certain parts of Scripture. But before we get into today's show, we've had some lovely feedback from listeners on some of our podcast platforms over on Podbean, W.J. Hughes wrote, Great to hear Tom and Mike discussing their new book together Very meaningful Christmas list number one for me Lovely to participate in up-to-date listening And be aware of what N.T. Wright is doing now In his recent trip to the States His move to Oxford Keeping up with his current thinking too Yes, and I hear that uh, trip to San Diego And elsewhere in the States um, Publicising the New Testament in its world with Mike Bird Was very successful indeed I hear there's been absolutely uh, huge reception For this new book, by the way Uh, Many, many copies sold already of tom and mike bird's new book the new testament in its world Uh, we uh, talked about it with both of them uh, a couple of episodes ago Uh, lisa wrote in i love it when nt Wright answers questions that have crossed my brain from time to time pleasure to listen to thank you Uh, and demelza on uh, itunes says i can't get enough of this podcast the questions come from listeners so they're genuine and heartfelt and the answers are not only pastoral but informative and educational thank you so much for the podcast And uh, Kerry in Australia says, This is my favourite podcast. I'm yet to write in with a question, but I really appreciate listening to all the submitted ones, of which I'm sure resonate with so many people. Podcasts like this are immeasurably important for people of faith, as they explore concepts which are generally not well thought through by the average person, and well-researched ideas are not always easily accessible. A deeply treasured tool. Thank you so much. And finally, a JLC says, I'm a new fan of Dr. Wright. I heard recently an analogy. The Bible is the menu, not the meal, or it's the treasure map, not the treasure. Jesus is the meal and the treasure. Um, thank you very much indeed And uh, that's an apposite comment uh, As we go into today's show on Bible translations If you want to keep up to date with the show And all the cool stuff on offer Obviously of course do get yourself subscribed Over at the website Askntright.com And uh, we'll keep you up to date And make sure you're in on all the good stuff you can do And of course you can ask a question yourself And do feel free to leave us some of your own feedback as well There or indeed wherever you get your podcast from Time to get into today's programme great to be sitting down with Tom Wright again for today's edition of the podcast. And we've got your questions on Bible translations today. Um, Now, this is something that's obviously close to your own heart recently, (laughs) Tom, having uh, worked on your own Bible for everyone. uh, Come out in this Large volume now. In fact, we've got copies sitting right in front of us. Yes. Um, John Gay has done the Old Testament. You've done the New Testament. Um, how long did it take you to, to effectively <laughs>
1: translate the New Testament yourself, well, Tom? Uh, of course, what happened was this, that I started this extraordinary project of doing the New Testament for everyone, which was to write little guides mm. to Mark for everyone, Matthew for everyone, Paul for everyone, First Corinthians, etc. And the publishers said to me right from the beginning, are we going to include the text of the New Testament in these little books? Mm. And we thought about that for a minute and decided we had to because the point was that these would be the sort of things somebody might read on the bus Absolutely. on their way to work. And it's quite difficult on a crowded bus to so have, have a Bible, a Bible on Bible one lap and a, hand a book on yes. the other. So we wanted to have text and and commentary in the same little volume. But then the question was, which version are you going to use? <laughs> and the point was this. This series, the New Testament for Everyone, was designed for people who wouldn't Uh, be regular students they wouldn't have sort of undergraduate degrees or whatever Mm -hmm. and to have lots of footnotes saying actually what this word means is really such and such or if I was then to say in the commentary what a pity that the translation said such and such because really it means this those are the sort of things that were no we can't say Mm -hmm. that in this Mm -hmm. kind of bargain basement commentary Mm -hmm. so I foolishly said to the publisher perhaps I should do my own translation Uh, and then thought what did I just say, <laughs> so we set off doing it, and actually, I really enjoyed it Good, yeah. um because the New Testament is vivid and it's it's dramatic and poignant and uh I like English prose, I wanted to try to find ways of bringing mm-hmm. that out, and there were some stylistic tricks which I think enabled me to do that a bit um you know so that for instance. When in the Gospels, it says Jesus said such and such. In the Greek, it would be um, Jesus said such and such. But in English, if you look at a novel, mm. what you tend to have would be, yes, comma, said Jesus, yes. comma. And then mm. so the sentence would be broken yeah, like that. Yeah. So I deliberately turned things around right. like that to try to make it more vivid. English, you know, the, the one rule is this. If you take an exciting book and make it dull, it must be a wrong translation. <laughs> <laughs> even if literally word for word it seems to be accurate and is it a very Different process, I assume, when you're doing a
0: one man translation as opposed to Bibles that are set, effectively written by committee. And sure, lots sure. of different
1: people. Are uh, yeah, uh, of course. And I mean, uh, there were editors and proofreaders and mm. people who did check it. And then actually, when the whole thing was done, and part of the question was, how long did it take <laughs> me? And the answer was, I was doing other things, <laughs> like I was um, Bishop of Durham for yeah. seven of those years. <laughs> but so I started in the year 2000 with Mark and Luke, and I finished. Um, on the cusp of 2010, I think it was New Year's Eve 2010. I did I did Revelation, so right. it was it was 10 years while yeah, doing lots, while yeah. being a bishop and lots of other things, um, and what I would do was this: I would first take however long it was, five days, seven days, nine days, simply to do a draft of the translation of the whole book, um, whatever it was, mm. and then I would put that to one side, and then. Usually some weeks later, I would take another week or two Mm. and carve out that time from the diary, and then I would go back to the translation that I'd done, and I would be praying through it while editing the translation and checking bits to see what from that needed to be said in the commentary and so the two would be interacting with each other and then I would write the commentary and then finally we pulled all the translations out and it turned into this little volume which then turned into the 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 bible um, for everyone the new testament version
0: of that yeah both available of course yep. um sbck it is, publishing it, is. it here in the uk zondervan probably in the usa um, or, it's, it's harper in oh, okay.
1: my new testament is harper okay. but it's called the kingdom new testament ah, okay. as usual go. americans like their own <laughs> titles
0: well look um we've got um one uh, american yeah. here uh, on a question it says christian who's in green bay wisconsin um, well, we've already answered the first part of your question, Christian. Why did you choose to write your own translation of mm-hmm. the New Testament? <laughs> but the second part of the question was, what can we expect to find new or different verses from other versions popular here in the US, such as the ESV or NIV? Any, any kind of particular thing that sort of distinguishes or, or specific
1: verses people might be surprised at the way you've rendered them? Goodness, yes. um, quite possibly, yes. I mean, I naturally gravitate towards Paul because that was my primary research. And mm-hmm. that's probably what I'm one of the things I'm best known for anyway. And part of the difficulty with Paul, and it's an exciting difficulty, Mm -hmm. is that some of the big words that Paul uses, and I give the example in the preface here um, of of the word decausune, which we translate as righteousness or justice Mm -hmm. or something like that. We do not have an English word that corresponds to all the things that decausune meant in the ancient world, in Plato, in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, let alone in Paul and I use the illustration, it's like uh, a huge cargo ship collecting cargo from many different ports and sailing down, this word is sailing down (laughs) a river having picked up cargo, and do we have a ship that big? No, we don't. Neither in English, nor in French, nor in German, which is two other modern languages Mm. I know best. Do we have a word which will carry all, so you have to paraphrase. And so you have to talk about covenant faithfulness, or, or God's justice, or something. And that will be different because mm. Paul is moving between different, to us, shades of meaning. So I've done my best yes. to reflect that. And so there's a constant to and fro between what I discern Paul to be saying when he's alluding to Genesis 15 or Isaiah or whatever, uh, and how we could say something like that in English. That's really difficult.
0: Reese in New Zealand asks... Um, And also so does Ruth in Westwood, um, New Jersey, actually. Same question from both of them. Why in your version of the New Testament is the Holy Spirit spelt in lowercase? (laughs) Uh, And uh, Ruth also adds, um, I'm bothered by it, by your breaking with tradition and not capitalizing Holy Spirit, as in Matthew 1, verses 18 Mm, and 20. mm. I know the original Greek text did not use capital letters there. Is that your only reason for not doing so?
1: Actually, a lot of the early Greek texts were in block capitals. Um, Some of the earliest manuscripts are precisely in in what we would call block capitals. But um, this is the sort of question that could only arise within an English-speaking world (laughs) because it's only, I think, in the English-speaking world that we have had the convention of using capital letters when we want to emphasize this word. Mm -hmm. And older Um, Christian English in 16th and 17th century used to have not only God Holy Spirit Messiah etc with capitals but also any pronoun related to them who, his etc they would all Mm. have capitals Mm. and that continued until Mm. the middle of the last century Mm. and then it started to sort of quieten down for me this is there's two things going on here one it's partly a rejection of what in the trade we call docetism which is the idea of a jesus who's sort of floating six inches above Mm -hmm. reality and then a holy spirit who's floating as though you have to say these words in a special sort of hushed tone of voice Um, and actually the whole point of christianity is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and that it's it's the glory of god with the feet very firmly in the muddy ground Mm. And that any attempt to say, oh, no, we've got to use capitals for these because that makes it sort of religious and special. Um, I have a kind of an allergic reaction to that on on good theological grounds. But here's the second thing. In Paul's world, um, the word pneuma, which is the word we translate wind or spirit, Mm. um, was a very common word in spirituality, in philosophy, in psychology, in um, uh, meteorology, whatever – and uh, when Paul talks about the Pneuma or the Hagion Pneuma, he has no means of differentiating it by using uh, a trick of, of orthography like that, of just making it a different thing. In other words, the Holy Spirit, as far as Paul and John and so on are concerned, had to make its way in a world where there were many Pneumata, many spirits. Mm. And. Uh, Paul trusts that that will happen, and that's part of the game: discerning the spirits and to cheat, as it were, by giving this one the capital S. <laughs> so we all know, we all feel comfortable. I, I think that that rather sort that's of interesting. I mean, I, I just picked up a copy of
0: just yeah. to check yeah. for yeah. myself. But you obviously <laughs> do use capitalization for, for God and oh, yes. Lord yes. Jesus and, and those sorts of. So why, why in that well, case is it valid? In, in I'm the not case sure. Of the Holy I'm Spirit not
1: sure. I mean, I do. Yes, I just opened at random here, and and Lord, and that. That may be, if I was doing it again, I might actually want to do the same with Lord, because okay. Kyrios, we're in a world of many Kyrioi, right. many Lords, okay. as he says in 1 Corinthians 8. Um, and I'd uh, uh, be interested to know what i do with that. <laughs> yes, there are many gods and many Lords, but for us there is one Lord, and I've then capitalized, capitalized it. it right. I think I, think I might, might want to change that That's now. interesting. Um, okay. uh, but, but, but I want to say, this is not, you know, if you were in German, every noun has a capital letter at the beginning right, of it. Yes. So in German, the, the Holy Spirit is Heiliger Geist. Mm. And Heiliger has a small letter because it's an adjective, and Geist has a capital right. letter because it's a noun. There's nothing whatever right. to do about theology. Uh, a a Pfeid, which is a horse, has a mm. capital P, You know, mm. et etc. Et mm. So it, this is a perception of um, usually, sadly, the monolingual English-speaking. And in a sense, a perfect example
0: of the way in which, obviously, We are always working from translations of um, what was originally written down in Greek, by and large, but which equally was... Uh, if you like, taking what would have originally been Aramaic, often words, and those yep, sorts of yep, things yep, when, which yep. Jesus would have
1: spoken. Yes, uh, and I remember Rowan Williams in a sermon ages ago on the celebration of an anniversary to do with William Tyndale, uh, the, the great Bible translator. Rowan said, Christianity has been a translating faith from the beginning. Mm. And translation is always a risk because the language, you know, again, people who only speak one language... Um, or at most two often imagine wrongly that languages simply have counters so here is a table and um, the German is Tisch and the French is Table, mm. and we know what that is yeah. but then as soon as you start to get into abstractions whether it's love or righteousness or whatever no these words do not correspond one on one at all and so one is constantly and I think this is part of the joke of being human and of being part of a worldwide family called the followers of Jesus. We're going to come to some
0: questions on specific translations. One one that I had, though, I, I was recently mm-hmm. involved mm-hmm. In, a, in a debate with an atheist. I, I normally chair these debates, mm-hmm. but on this occasion, I, we were in Oxford. It was put on by the Christian Union there. And, and the main case against Christianity that the atheist had, one of the main cases, was that, well, it, it, why would a God choose to communicate this essential truth through this incredibly you know, broken form um, of of using, you know, people writing things down 2,000 years ago and then it being copied and errors being made. And then, you yeah. know, finally we end up with something that might be approximate what... what. And he said, any God worth its salt would, would would give you a far more reliable method of communicating this truth. And, you know, and, well, I tried to answer that. Firstly, I tried to say, firstly, we actually have quite a good way of getting back to the original text. So it's not quite as bad as you're making out. But, but equally... Um, <laughs> I suppose there's that question of, of could God have done it a different way? This seems like a very sort of, you know, prone to <laughs> us being able to take our own thing from it and yeah, re-understand re- it.
1: Absolutely. Just like when Jesus was walking around, people um, just heard a bit on the edge of a conversation and misunderstood it or people saw him and thought he was demon possessed or whatever and uh, it's the most extraordinary risk if if there was a sensible god why on earth would he become incarnate and why there in the messy muddled middle east Mm. Um, and wasn't that a risk that he might have been run over by a camel or died of flu at the age of 19 or whatever and yes of course it was and that's part of the point because I mean, I, the, the question, which many Christians actually uh, mm. approach things like this as well, if there is a God, he must want da 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 If there is a God, he would have to do A, B, and C. And I want to say, when you hear that word must, run for the hills, <laughs> this is a bad way of doing theology, but as a Christian theology anyway, um, though many Christians have tried to do it that way. The only way we know about Christian theology, as I argue in that book there, is by starting with Jesus. Paul, um, John says, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. You see that again, how do you translate the Greek? Hutos exegesitor, he's provided an exegesis of him. He's yeah. He's unfolded who God really is. And so the messy muddledness is part of the joy of it. Otherwise, it would only be severely rational mm. people mm. who would be able to be Christians and most of the world are have muddled messy lives and make that point yeah, to this person
0: good. that, that. The particular standard of evidence that you require (laughs) to believe in God is rather different to many people down the ages. And as it happens, this book appears to have, in a rather miraculous
1: way, spoken to generation upon generation of people and transformed the world. Exactly. But not only so. But if you look at all the great classical texts, whether it's Plato or Sophocles or Cicero or whoever, our knowledge of those texts is Almost in every case based on two or three medieval manuscripts, our knowledge of the New Testament is based on literally hundreds Mm -hmm. of manuscripts which go back in some cases, bits of them to the early second century and lots and lots, dozens, hundreds from the third, fourth, fifth, Mm -hmm. sixth centuries. So the convergence on this text is truly extraordinary and as is the fact that it makes excellent sense within everything we know about first the first century Jewish world um, uh, of the time of Jesus <music>
0: The Ask NT Write Anything podcast is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Write Online. And NT Write Online are offering a new free ebook from Tom, From Hypocrisy to Compromise to Faithfulness. It's the story of Acts 15 and explores how the early church transitioned from a predominantly Jewish messianic movement into something new that the world had never seen. Learn the story behind this pivotal moment in church history with this new free ebook from Tom Wright. Get it now at org slash ask that's ntwriteonline.org forward slash ask let's go to um a couple of questions that came in specifically on translations um, uh, tk in australia says we've been blessed with different english versions and translations of the bible Uh, What makes a good translation for someone not in seminary and how are we supposed to discern whether newer translations such as the Passion Translation or even the Bible for Everyone are accurate without ourselves having prior knowledge of the original languages? and a similar question from judson in um is it gig harbour or jig harbour i can never (laughs) remember which way to pronounce it in washington state says for those who aren't sufficiently conversant with the original biblical hebrew and greek languages what are your recommendations for english bible translations other than your own and why um so how how do we judge what's a good one i mean do we just have to take it on trust that this
1: bible we've been Presented with is, is a pretty good yeah, approximation um, of the uh, originals. Of course, we, we are in a funny situation now because there are more English translations now than ever before. Mm. And there is a rough convergence, but there are some very different ones. And some of those translations um, are not actually translations, but, but, but paraphrases. And as I've said, paraphrase is necessary for translation, but there's paraphrase and paraphrase. Mm. And I've tried in mine to stick as close to the text as I can recognizing that many words don't have a, a, a one-on-one correspondence. But there are some, and when I was growing up, there was a thing called the Living Bible, which is still out there, mm, I think yes. in a new version now. And that was uh, quite a cheerful paraphrase where they would sort of swallow a paragraph home and hold, and then say something <laughs> rather similar. Um, well, fine, I'd much rather they were doing that than, than, than not. Mm. And anything that joggles us out of familiarity, that's the thing. Okay. So I've often said to students and, and people in church who've asked me this question, If you don't have the Hebrew and Greek, and perhaps even if you do, you should have at least two very different translations on your desk. Now, for your own personal private reading in your praying time, maybe just stick with one for the moment and then every year or two change it and do a different one. Then every so often, for instance, sometimes on summer holiday, I will take a translation of the Bible that I've not used before because there are so many and I will simply spend some hours over the holiday mm. reading through whole books right. and just seeing how they sit with me and enjoying doing so mm. um, but because I normally work in my professional life with the Hebrew and Greek um, I do use the NRSV I use the old revised version from the 1880s which is um, a good clunky older yeah. English thing um, but which is actually quite helpful in some respects. Mm. Um, I like the New Jerusalem Bible, not because it's always getting it right, but because, again, from quite a different angle and with lots of quite insightful ways of, mm. of going at things. Um, Henry Wansbrough was it? Who yeah, did the New it, large, largely it was Henry Wansbrough. He I, yes, I only yes. know that because my, my wife fourth. did a trip around um,
0: Israel with oh, him really? Really? as, as really? a student from Oxford. Interesting, interesting. Um, and yes, yes. Uh, he, he, was, he is a quite remarkable character himself mm-hmm. but all of this reminds me of the fact that perhaps it's even helpful the fact that we have so many different translations to remind us that ultimately it's about the person this is all leading us towards rather yes, than yes. investing the words themselves necessarily with with because yes. we're not treating the bible like say the quran where it's yep, seen yep, as yep. very much as though there is only one way yes. of understanding this the text is set out by god and that's
1: it that's right i mean the quran in in uh, islam is, as it were, the equivalent of Jesus in Christianity. And uh, when people talk loosely about people of the book, actually the sort of thing that the book is in the Jewish world, in the Muslim world, in the Christian world, is very subtly different. Mm. Um, And one should never forget that. Um, But I say that as somebody who has a very high theology of Scripture. Um, That is to say I really do believe that the Bible is the book God wanted us to have. But that means that it's the Bible warts and all, mm-hmm. loose ends of texts and all, you know, what happened to the lost ending of Mark and all. Yeah. This is the Bible that somehow God wanted us to have. And back to your previous question, it's its to do with the fact of the incarnation, that that this is God getting his boots muddy and his hands messy with the reality of our world and if you got this pure um undistilled uh pure distilled thing um i'm not sure that everyone would be able to 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 get hold of it whereas these stories precisely with their oddities etc they do all sorts of things in our world which actually from the ground up we Mm. can see as being speaking the word of god to people of all sorts Let's come to one of those issues with Hmm. specific
0: Mm -hmm. um, texts and when they are and aren't included and that sort of thing. Um, Seth in Pretoria, South Africa, asks this question, says, um, thanks for the podcast, supremely helpful on a regular basis uh, in my life and those with whom I share my life. But my question is in regards to the story of the woman caught in adultery. That's in John's Gospel. My question to Tom relates to his role as translator and interpreter and his understanding of inspiration in regards to this text. Now, many Christians don't really care, know or understand the note within their Bibles stating that the story is exempt from the earliest and best manuscripts. So, Tom, what do you do with this passage? Why is it still in our Bibles? Why do leaders and Bible teachers avoid telling their congregations (laughs) about its textual nature And are we to consider it canonical and thus inspired when it comes down to it? If it wasn't in the original manuscripts, how can we keep it in ours and at the same time maintain it? integrity.
1: Yeah the phrase the original manuscripts is misleading because there is no you know we don't have the manuscript that John himself wrote. Um, The earliest manuscripts we have as I said before are fragmentary from the early second century. Some think we've got odd fragments from the late first century but that's controversial Mm. but actually to have anything at all from the second century is is quite quite remarkable remarkable, considering as I said before about all other classical texts. So when we say the earliest manuscripts, that doesn't necessarily mean the best, and what um, scholars have done who've worked on the textual critical problems, as they're called, is to look at all the manuscripts, and this is a vast undertaking, um, and to compare them and to see, and in some cases you can see that, ah, yes, uh, what looks to us like a mistake was introduced in this point. We've got a fourth century manuscript. And then this family of manuscripts have all copied that mistake. Right. It's like Stephen Neal in his introduction to the New Testament uses the example of when he was teaching in a school in India and uh, he was teaching maths and um, the, the the boys had got an elaborate cheating system where one or two really good mathem- mathematicians mm. Mm. would give their work to others who would hand it on mm. and he would be able to construct a flow chart of right. who'd used. Yes. So, I mean, there you could tell who the originals were, but the, the art of textual criticism of the New Testament is that we can't easily just say, okay, it all goes back like that and that was yeah. the original. So it's the same with the so-called lost ending of Mark. Mm-hmm. It's the same with um, that odd bit at the end of First Corinthians 14 about women keeping silence in mm-hmm. churches, where that's missing from mm-hmm. many early manuscripts, mm-hmm. and so on. So it isn't unique to this question mm-hmm. of John 8. The question of whether a preacher should tell the congregation this kind of thing depends entirely on who the congregation are and what stage of their development they're at. Um, there are some things which will just confuse people. And I would rather myself tell them that in the context of let's have a Wednesday night Bible study and let's really go at this stuff. And now mm. here's a couple of books and you might want to mm. look at this and w- wean people off um, a sort of idea that the Bible fell down from heaven in the King James version complete mm. with maps mm. um, <laughs> you know, a- and say, no, no, th- th- it's OK. This doesn't mean that the whole thing is falling apart. It mm. means it's a real ancient mm. book. When it comes to John 8, um, actually, I think the passage starts in 753, which is the last yes. phrase of, of chapter 7, through to, um, through to verse 11. Um, it is an odd passage in the sense that it doesn't seem to flow directly out of chapter 7, mm. and it doesn't seem to flow directly into chapter 8. But it does look as though it belongs somewhere. And mm. the early manuscripts... Some of them have it attached to Luke, for instance, mm. Mm. and it's as though somebody knew that this was a Jesus story which belongs somewhere, somewhere. and whether John had it as, as a Jesus story which he wanted to put there, or whether somebody else has put it into a manuscript. Uh, you know, I, I lose no sleep over this at right. all, but I do notice this. The way that John 8 works, and it's a long and quite difficult chapter, mm. is that it starts with a group of people who want to stone a woman, mm-hmm. Jesus comes alongside this woman and says, I'm not condemning you, but go go away and don't sin again. The chapter ends with them picking up stones to stone Jesus. The chapter has a sort of circular quality mm-hmm. where Jesus comes and takes the woman's part, as mm-hmm. it were, mm-hmm. and ends up being threatened with stoning himself and that to me is a kind of a microcosm of what's going on in John's gospel that the word becomes flesh and dwells among us and at the end or in chapter 19 it's the the living word who then gets Mm. crucified on our behalf um and that makes me think that whoever put it here actually had quite a subtle theological mind here, and we do know that John seems to have had a subtle theological yeah. mind. So it's perfectly possible that it is a genuine Johannine passage. And and in that sense, it, when the, this uh, Seth asks, you know, should we regard it as inspired or hmm. not? What's
0: what's your what's well, your answer to that? Is uh, it? I,
1: I would say yes, but what, but I would then want to say, let's sit down and talk about what we mean by inspired. Right. Sure. Because the same with the lost ending of Mark. We, I, I'm happy to read the mm. lost the, the extra ending of Mark in church, even though I don't think that's actually what Mark wrote. But somebody in the very early church wrote it because I think they found Mark um, with a truncated ending and thought, we can't just leave it at that. Um, and that's OK. Editors can also be inspired the problem then is with the doctrine of inspiration that says inspiration is one person being zapped by the spirit and writing almost by dictation. That's not what Paul looks like. That's not what Luke tells us. He's he's a historian. He's used oral and written sources. What's the big deal about that? Mm. Can God not work through the ordinary historian's methods? Of course God can and does. Um, Sometimes God will give people direct revelations as in the Old Testament prophecies. But um, uh, so let's get our theory of inspiration sorted out. And it's got to be big enough and robust enough to cope with textual variants. I'll just get one final one
0: squeezed in at the end. This is Brody in Lynchburg, Virginia, who says in uh, 2018, Pope Francis claimed that the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation is mistranslated. He said that a better translation would be something akin to do not let us enter into temptation. How do you render the passage in your own New Testament translation? And what's the mm. theological significance of ad- adopting the Pope's <laughs> recommended translation? I, I remember there were a lot of, you know, headlines around this yep, when, it, when, it, when it happened. You know, lots of people saying the Pope wants to change the Lord's Prayer. Um, uh, okay. So we, I mean, most of us know it actually in the King James Version, yeah, don't yeah. we? You know, our Lead not who into are temptation. in heaven. Yeah, Lead us not into temptation. Absolutely. But deliver us from evil. Um, and, and in a sense, I think it's our familiarity with that yep. which makes us think, well, yep. anything else sounds wrong somehow. But, yes. but how? Well, I don't. I can't remember exactly what the Pope's the way that Pope wanted to su- suggest it should be translated. But what's your yes? Your uh, here version, in Matthew Tom?
1: six, what I've got is, "Don't bring us into the great trial." Okay. that's because the word "pirasmos," temptation or trial, in that world, as Jesus says it in Gethsemane, "Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation." Um, that seems there to have referred to the fact that Jesus knew there was a great trial coming Mm -hmm. upon the world at the time. We can still pray that because we are promised that we may well go through uh, a terrible time before the final end. And the prayer is that we will not have to bear the full brunt of that ourselves. In fact, for Jesus' followers, it's that they mm. wouldn't bear it at all; that Jesus would take it on their behalf. But it's it's so, is temptation the wrong word well, then? Really, today? that's the problem. Yes. That's the problem, and I think that's what the Pope was reacting against. And actually, of course, as with a lot of things that the newspapers get hold of, <laughs> this was not new. People have <laughs> talked about that <laughs> phrase forever, yes. um, and he was simply talking good sense that if you think God can lead us into temptation in order to to make life difficult he said what sort of a view of god is that and james in the letter to james letter of james Mm. says god doesn't do that it's very explicit god is not tempted by evil himself and does not tempt people Mm. we are tempted when we're led astray by our our own desires and so on Um, so i think that the pope was quite right that if the faithful were thinking oh dear, God might be leading me into temptation, no, please don't do that, yes. then that's a wrong view of God. It, it, it's, um, it's sort of <laughs> slightly sad in a way that,
0: that one of the best-known best, best known bits of the Bible for most people who perhaps <laughs> learned it in mm, school mm, and mm, church mm. growing up it is actually not brilliantly worded in that particular moment and can yeah. can make people
1: confused. But, but, yes. but it's, it's partly a thing we've discussed on another podcast that this is actually a bit where the very specific first century Jewish thing shows mm. through yes. and where you have to wrestle with that to see mm. how we make sense of it ourselves and, and uh, that's where I would go to First Corinthians The problem tenure. is people are, you know, I was listening to another
0: podcast um, by someone who's a sort of Occasional churchgoer, I think. And they said, oh, I just can't stand it when they put <laughs> modern versions of the Lord's prayer into services. I, I want my good old, you know. And we, we have rather wedded very often to those familiar.
1: I totally get that. Um, if I go to a church where they've changed the words of one of the hymns, <laughs> you know, I, I've known a lot of great hymns from the days of my boyhood. And if you're singing along and suddenly find that some idiot has switched it around, (laughs) and I think, oh, okay, Okay. I can see why you didn't like that, but actually that was a dumb thing to do. Um, Then, but this is a typical seventy-year-old talking. (laughs) Well, look, um, it's been great fun
0: to talk for the last half an hour on Bible (laughs) translations. Hope it's been of some help to those whose questions we got to today. And uh, thank you very much for joining me again, Tom. Thank you. (laughs) thanks for being with us on the podcast today if you've enjoyed the show why not tell others about it and give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts from Uh, next time we're going to be answering your questions on the old testament so make sure you're subscribed as well for the regular newsletter bonus content and of course our regular prize draws and you can ask a question yourself too that's all available at askntright.com we'll see you next time You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.